0: Hi, mining community. Welcome back to another episode of the Dig Deep, the Mining Podcast. And today's guest is Craig Bradshaw, who's the CEO of Matsun High Tech Material Corporation, who have a vision to become a leading global integrated supplier of high tech, advanced materi- material. Sorry, materials critical to global innovation and operate. And they also obviously operate the new New Mining um, operation in Vietnam. Craig is an experienced mining executive with a finance and commercial background and has extensive experience in Southeast Asia. Um, and he's going to get, talk to us today about the company and how they've transformed themselves over the past few years um, and what the future holds for the company moving forward. So that's welcome, Craig, to the podcast. How are you doing, Craig?
1: Good, Rob. Thanks for the introduction. And uh, uh, You, you had a lot to get through.
0: Yes, yeah, certainly we have. Obviously, we've just been speaking off air. Um, and obviously, a lot of things have happened with the, the company um, over the last few years. But i wondered if you can just give us, an. Uh, and I know you've been with the company for a while, so just wondering if you can give us an overview of yourself, um, your sort of career. And obviously, we've been speaking uh, about this just off air. So I wonder if you give a, a snapshot of your career uh, going way back when you worked for um, Mount I- or working in Mount Isa, or even, or even before then, um, and then we can go into a little bit more about obviously the company. Uh,
1: no, certainly. Look, the, um, I'm, I'm a failed accountant. I did um, business at, at university, and uh, for my sins, I got uh, a graduate scholarship with Mim and a Mines back in '92. Um, I think it was right back when the when Australia was going to a recession at the time. And uh, look, probably the best thing ever happened. Was, was the fact that I scored that job with, with Mount Isa Mines. The graduate program that they ran was fantastic. Um, gave me opportunity to work in and get exposure to uh, mining operations, copper, lead zinc. At the time it was X41, 1,100 ore body, 3,500 ore body, which became Enterprise, Hilton, George Fisher. Got uh, exposure to, to copper smelting, copper concentrating, lead zinc, uh, same then over into, into smelters and refining, and um, as well as in services. So I got involved at a time in uh, Micah Creek Power Station, conversion to gas, getting gas from Mount Isa, um, then the sale of, of non-core assets. And so for me, Mount Isa was a, a great place to work. You had a lot of people who had a lot of industry experience. They were really happy to share their experience and their knowledge. You know, the Peter Munro's, the, the Bill Johnson's, the... Um, Barry Sullivan, Bill Wright, Stephen O'Donnell's um, really intelligent, capable people that uh, were, were really happy to, to you know, spend time with, with graduates and, uh, and help build their careers. And so I did seven years in Mount Isa, went to Townsville, did, did three years over in Townsville um, with port operations there, Isa Process, um, marketing, uh, Bow and Coke Works, then uh, went to Brisbane, got involved in exploration that stage, spent a couple of years in exploration, business development. Then uh, Extrata took over. At that point, I'd had enough of of mining, and um, I went and joined Toll Logistics and uh, worked with Toll, doing rail logistics and uh, helping there with with strategy in terms of businesses that have been acquired. There were good bits of the business and there were bad bits of the business, and the bad bits I got to, to work on for my sins in terms of helping either turn them around, sell them off, or shut them down and um, did that in Australia for three years and then um, uh, got sent to Thailand for toll at an oil and gas logistics business that was losing money and I got asked to go there and uh, help fix that up and um, so did that and then they went and bought uh, Semicorp Logistics. So all of a sudden I'm sitting in meetings with um, uh, consumer electronics companies complaining about the fridge got delivered with a dent in it and I decided that that wasn't... Uh, and what I wanted to be doing and um, <laughs> rang a mate, uh, Tony Houston, who just happened to be going through um, through Bangkok at the time on his way to uh, Sepon, uh, which is Oxiana, and um, they were looking for a commercial manager. So one thing led to another and uh, I joined Oxiana up in, up in Laos um, and uh, spent a few years there with them. That was around the 2008 GFC. Oxiana became Oz Minerals. We then got sold off to MMG, so I started working for MMG, which was part of China Min Metals. Did that for a couple of years, and then uh, um, my boss left at the time. I took his job as general manager um, uh, of the LXML operations in Laos. And then six months later, I got a phone call from uh, my ex-boss wanting to know whether I wanted to come to Vietnam to set up a new company as a a Greenfield, and uh, hadn't done that before. And decided sort of that, that was the way I you know, a good opportunity. So I ended up in Vietnam in um, 28th of February, 2011. And uh, when I arrived, newly Phao was rice paddy and buffaloes, right? And um, there's about $110 million of equipment that had been bought that were sitting in containers that uh, the previous owners uh, ran into financial difficulty doing the, the GFC. The project got sold off to, to, to Masan Group who set up uh, company, company, own Resources. And uh, at the time, it was him and me, and um, yeah, let's build a project. And uh, so the following three years, that, that's what we did. We brought in a construction director and built a team of people to take it from you know, an idea or a concept to, uh, to a commercial operation. And at the time we did that, that was the first new tungsten mine to be brought into development in the, the Western world in 15 years, right? And so it's a polymetallic deposit, so it's tungsten, bar, copper, bismuth, and then a bit of gold. So it had its complexities. Um, and to be fair, I think from construction to full commercial production, it took us about two and a half, three years to get the, the whole thing and everything to work the way it was meant to or the way it was designed to. And uh, we were lucky we had owners who, you know, they were a conglomerate in Vietnam. They had uh, reasonably deep pockets. I didn't particularly want to have to put their hands into those reasonably deep pockets, but they were supportive of the business and supportive of us to actually work through the issues which we did. And so then uh, we listed um, around 2014 as Musam Resources Um, We then went into a joint venture with HC Stark to build an APT plant in Vietnam. Uh, So then we were able to process our tungsten concentrates into ammonia paratungstate. And then uh, in 2020, we ended up taking over the whole HC Stark uh, global tungsten powders business. And that then took us further downstream into um, tungsten carbides, tungsten metal powders, tungsten chemicals. For a variety of different industries. So, at the time we went from, you know, globally thirty customers to to, to globally having three hundred and fifty plus customers. And, and that that hasn't been without its its cultural challenges. Marson Resources is a company that uh, this year we'll celebrate our eleventh birthday, or 12th, 12th birthday, sorry, 12th birthday. You know, um, HC Star uh, and Powders. Uh, celebrate its hundred and second birthday, right so um, a company that's been around for ten years taking over a company that's been around for hundred years. there's a variety of cultural you know, issues that uh, are created from that uh, aside from nationalities right there's it, it, whole things that uh, that need to be done but uh, businesses work well we've uh, continued to grow the business we've um, built market share and we're developing plans to to extend the business beyond you know the 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 tungsten, bar, bismuth, copper, and cobalt that we do today into into other materials.
0: Before we go on to obviously speak about, uh, obviously, the company, um, I picked up on something you said at the beginning, um, and I just wanted to sort of ask you a question around that. You mentioned, um, obviously, some of the senior people uh, um, in, in Mount Isa. And obviously you were a graduate back then. Do you think nowadays there's less of that interaction and mentoring with some very senior people and the graduates that are coming through the system? Do you see, was it better back then? Is it better now around sort of mentoring and trying to, trying to, the more experienced, and I suppose we're getting a lot more experienced guys probably leaving the industry because of maybe their age or they've decided now is the time to, to leave the industry. And obviously their ex- wealth of experience is leaving the industry when we should be using their wealth of experience and helping the graduates that are coming into the industry. Would you say it was better back then? Is it better now? Is there differences? Just one if you can uh, give us your... Uh, I suppose, uh, your views on that?
1: I, I, was, I was lucky to, to score the, the, the grade, on, get on the Mount Isa graduate scheme, right? And, and the reason I say that is that I, I like playing football. I, I, yeah, for me, going to Mount Isa was like winning the lottery, right? I played rugby on a Saturday. I played Aussie rules on a Sunday. And people are paying me money five days a week to turn up and do a job, right? And... The combination of playing sport in in that sort of environment, the the EGM of Mount Isa was the president of the rugby club. So I'd play rugby on a Saturday afternoon, have a beer at the clubhouse on on Saturday night, and you'd rub shoulders with the general manager of um, the the zinc part of the business or the copper part of the business. Uh, the EGM would would be there, uh, in that case was Barry Sullivan and, and his wife Tony. And so you you'd be working during the week, you play football, you socialize with some of these people, so that when when you had a meeting the following week or you're providing them information to make a decision, they knew who you were. And because they knew who you were, then if you asked a question, they'd give you the time to give you an answer. right? And so I think, the The challenge or the difficulty these days is back then you had the ability to socialise with the, the the senior management at the same time as then during the week working, right? And so you saw people as, as full people, right? And if you are an inquisitive young graduate, they would invest the time in, in you in terms of answering your questions. I think the challenge for a lot of people these days is they're only getting Thin slices, so they're only seeing them at work. They're only seeing them um, eight to five, or, 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 or what are the hours other people work with in Australia these days, right? And so the the, the the challenge is how do you build relationships so that people see you as being worthwhile to spend their their time and and and, and, and invest that time because. It is an investment on senior executives in younger people, right? They've got an hour to spend. Their return on that hour from a business perspective is to to, to spend it to, you know, with good people, right? And so you, know, you need to, you know, if you want to be in that queue, best thing is to have a personal relationship in some fashion, and that's difficult to manufacture. I, I was lucky that you know, the people that uh, ran the mining operations, they were into, into rugby. And so... Uh, or into Aussie rules, right? Um, and as a result of that, I got to to, to see those people socially, and then the, that then helped uh, the the fabric in terms of working with them. Um, in, in Vietnam these days, so obviously I've been in Southeast Asia now for for 15, 15, 16 years. I see in the Vietnamese graduates coming through from the universities, they're really hungry, right? They want to do whatever hours are required, they're interested in bettering themselves, they're interested in, in the, the business, they want to understand the business. Um, I think that's really important. Even our accountants, our, our graduates accountants, they go spend time at the mine, spend time at the process plant. They're not just looking at a number in a spreadsheet or in a, on a report. They're getting in behind that to understand that. And so, you know, what I've seen is the, the, the people we employ who, who've been in the industry for, for 20, 30 years are happy to spend time with those people who are inquisitive and want to learn. The challenge for the industry is as those people leave the industry, there's less and less people coming through who, who have that ability or have that widespread knowledge. right? Um, and to be fair, our industry is not the sexiest. Right? You know, if you're a graduate coming through today, and you can go and spend you know, time working for a Google or a Atlassian or a Netflix, whatever, right? Yeah, there's a lot more industries that are far sexier than 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 ours, right? And so I think we have an image problem as a, as a, as an industry. Um, I think it's got better over the last few years. It's been addressed, but there's still a big gap. And it takes time for that then to be filled up or or channeled. When I look at the the people I was years with as graduates in Mount Isa, most of them have ended up as CEOs of of different mining companies, right? Um, And and a high number of them. Now, my view is that the MIM graduate scheme back then was excellent, right? Um, But I think it also, beyond that, speaks to quite simply, the industry has been short of people for a long period of time. And as a result of that, if you're good and you're capable, you you will end up in in senior positions because there's less people above.
0: Yeah. Would you say the environment at Mount Isa um, was pretty unique in that, obviously, we had a a variety of different uh, base metal commodities up there, you had that environment where you just mentioned, where you had a lot of social functions, obviously sport. There may be obviously other things going on as well. And you're combining your the work with the social side where you are networking constantly whilst you're playing sport. Was that pretty unique compared to, I suppose, other places around the world? where you, you probably just go to work five, six days or whatever, seven days, and then you're away, and then you're away from work, but not – where whereas, obviously, you could be doing something more sociable, but you're doing it with work, work friends as well. So yes. that's – and that's where, obviously, you've benefited from being in that type of environment, and other people have benefited from that environment, where you've said now – some of those people are now CEOs of mining companies. So that environment has created those people. And if you're not in those environment, it's probably harder to, to be then become leaders within the mining industry.
1: Absolutely. If, if, if you're a graduate today and you want to go spend your entire career working in, uh, in Sydney, Melbourne, or even Perth, right, then I don't think you get the skill sets that you need to lead a company. Right. And particularly in mining, mineral processing, you know, you've got to go spend time at the coal phase where, where the money's made, right? It, and that's spending a few years at least in, in the mine, in the mineral processing, or working at those locations, right? Because you'll just learn so much about uh, what makes the whole industry tick, right? And I think the, the better leaders, in in the the mining industry are the people who've come from backgrounds where they have spent time at those locations, right? And and if you like, I talk about it sometimes as in, in the open terms of having 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 it under your fingernails, right? It means that you've been out there, you've worked with people at sites, you've met them in the bar afterwards. They might be uh, a a a truck driver underground. They could be uh. uh Excavator operator. They, they could be the the shift supervisor in the, in, the, in the smell Whatever. It doesn't matter, right? But it's a case of having discussions, having uh, an understanding of what's happened in in their day, how they're feeling about the organisation, the company. It gives you different perspectives across your business, so that later on, when you are in a senior senior leadership position and you're making decisions about where you're taking your company you start to think about how do I bring that 2,000 people along the journey with me, right, because it's no good me marching off in a direction by myself, we'll fail. You get 2,000 people heading in that direction because it's the right direction and they believe in it, then the organisation will be successful, right? Um, And so part of it is actually getting an insight in terms of the culture of your organisation, the culture of your people, of... On living with those people in those environments, not necessarily doing their job. Okay? I don't have a, a truck driving ticket. I don't have a ticket to drive an excavator, right? Um, and in different forums, one of the one of the comments I've made to people is: anyone can go buy trucks, anyone can go buy excavators, anyone can go get uh, an engineering house to design them a plan and then build them a plan, right? But the difference between a poor company, a good company, and a great company is going to be the quality of the people that you get, right, and how well you scaffold those people for success. And I feel that my insight into people came from working in places like Mount Isa where you actually got exposure to to all those different levels of the organisation, and that then helps you frame how you work with those people now as a leader of a company.
0: Yeah, I understand. Right, moving on. Obviously, want to talk about the company, and obviously you've, you've gone through um, a bit of a change more recently. So just wondering if you can um, give us an overview over the last few years uh, of how the company sort of progressed, um, and obviously you've had a name change as well.
1: Yep. So um, we, we looked at – so originally we started as a newly found mining company, newly found deposit, where we listed as Musaun Resources, uh, which is very much, uh, if you like, uh, mining focus. And it was a mining focus business. We, we produced tungsten concentrate, copper concentrate, uh, acid-grade fluorospar, which is still a concentrate, um, a bismuth cement, um, which is a more refined product, but, but basically it's still a, a, a high-grade concentrate. And so, uh, and, and essentially producing commodities. Right? And if you're producing commodities, then the only way to compete in the market is to be the lowest cost producer, right, because... In commodities, it's worth the price is going to be what the price is going to be. You can't control the price. And as a price taker, all you can control is where you sit on the cost. Rate, right? And your focus then is to be ideally mining, mining talk, be in the lowest cost quadrant, and then 75% of the industry is going to go out of business before you do Right? That's not necessarily how we want to talk about it, but that's fundamentally what it what it is, right? And so we have made the decision strategically that we wanted to move beyond providing or producing commodities and, and really get into a value add. Right? And in, in going down the stream to value add and take out our products beyond just commodities, it increases our addressable market in terms of the, the total dollar value of the, the materials that we could sell into. It increases the number of customers that we can deal with it also means that we can tailor products to customers for their specific needs, right? And in particular, through R&D, if you want a better drill bit, for example, right? or you want a better uh, shielding material, we now work with customers to what are the characteristics that you want in that material and what are the ways in which our product dovetails into that characteristic. So how do we then improve our product? Or how do we facilitate you to improve your product to get better out of the material characteristics? And there's a whole plethora of ways that you can influence material characteristics. And so we then uh, private equity at the time owned HC Stark. Company. Patsy Star, tungsten, uh, We'd had a joint venture with them. We had bought out that joint venture at a point in time, uh, and that was all about us getting tech- access to technology to improve what we did in Vietnam. And then yeah. willing seller, uh, very willing buyer. Yeah. The the it aligns so that we acquired that business at uh, what we felt at the time was a very good price. Um, and uh, but what it gave us was entryways into value-add, branded products, um, not just selling commodities, right? And to be fair, we still do sell some commodities, but it's not where we want to be, right? What we are what striving to do is to look at um, what is it that, that, that customers want out of materials and can we provide the science and the processes to get those characteristics out of tungsten, cobalt, uh, or other materials, tantalum, niobium, et cetera. Right? And so um, it has helped us move away from being a price taker on the commodity side. It's also helped us to, like, um, gives us a level of insurance in terms of having customers who are wedded to us in terms of they get a unique product. that unique product goes into automotive or aerospace or defense or um we're getting more 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 customers that we're working with now in in battery tech as an example right who are looking at some of our products for enhancing the performance of batteries be that from a uh a charging speed fire resistance etc and so you know we want to position ourselves for that market with advanced products because we see the EV market. And we, we spoke earlier, the world is, you know, governments around the world are pushing the whole world very quickly to an EV solution, right? Now, the, I don't believe that from a materials perspective, we're set up to actually meet that. And that's then going to cause a whole lot of other, other issues in terms of when there's scarce resources and a lot of competition for those resources. Are you going to get higher prices? But beyond prices, it may well be that some of those materials or minerals aren't going to be available at any price for certain applications because the end product doesn't justify. It. And so you know, that's also part of the reason why we, we moved from mining and acquired a company that, uh, you know, yes, they were a large customer of ours. They, they at the time took about thirty percent of our our uh, APT that we produced. But beyond that, they also had recycled technology. So taking tungsten scraps, um, swarfs, broken drill bits, um, you know, the, the, um, the heads off raised the, the buttons, the, the, the buttons off of the off of the uh, drill, drill heads. They're, they're all tungsten carbide type products, right? And so you know, these are the type of products we take back. Um, and, and recycle back into to new materials, right? And from those, you know, we're providing, you know, tung- we're recovering the tungsten or depending on the product, copper, the nickel, uh, cobalt, um, and based on the, the current start technology, um, you know, 40% of all of the, the tungsten we produce now comes from recycle. You know, we see that the world's future demand, it takes 10 years to develop uh, a new mine, right? And so the speed at which governments are looking to drive change to renewables and to EV, to net zero um, carbon emissions, means that there's going to be a shortage of of key materials, nickel, lithium, copper, cobalt, uh, tungsten. Um, And as a result of that, if it can't come from new mines, the only other place it can come from is recycling. And so we're positioning ourselves at the forefront of being able to recycle a number of those pretty materials, uh, which is if you like an adjunct to the recycling we already undertake. And so we see that as a very logical way in which to expand and to grow our business beyond what we do today. Um, could you uh, obviously talk about recycling?
0: Could you share, us, uh, share with us more details about the recycling technology platform um, owned by um, MHT? Um, and member companies.
1: Yep. so through through the HC Stark acquisition, the, the um, HC Stark's the, the, the leading um, recycler of tungsten in particular, but at the Goslar facility, that they also had a a, a cobalt line, molybdenum line, um, a tantalum, and so there's other materials that uh, they've got production lines for that were mothballed by previous owners. Uh, we started to to, to relook at uh, utilising and reinvigorating those production lines. Um, and you know, interestingly, as a result of marrying up a uh, mining and mineral processing company with uh, uh, an industrial products processing company, the, the combination of getting all of the, the smart people in the room together has actually given us some, you know, New tech, new technology ideas. We've applied for new patents in uh, the back end of last year. We're now working through pilot plant, but we're, we're developing a pilot plant to recover lithium, nickel, copper, cobalt, manganese from black mass, for example. Now, we didn't start out looking at black mass. What we started looking at was sludges from hard tool recycling. Having after got taken out the tungsten and the cobalt, there was other materials left, and we were looking at how do we actually get full value of that uh, from those sludges. Just so happens that in the process of doing that, we decided to test the same uh, uh, techniques or processes on black mass and found that, that it equally worked. And you know, that technology, uh, it's still got to go through all the proof of concept, but if it works, if recycles those materials with uh, a lower environmental footprint than the currently available technology. So it uses less energy to recycle those materials and it uses less water in its process to recycle those materials. And so we got a long way to go. I'm not expecting the results of our, our proof of concept work to come out until the back end of this year. But if that's successful, then that's a, a, a fantastic adjunct to what we're already doing. So we're, we're in the market talking to people about, black mass recycling, you know, we're already working with um, customers who are looking to add tungsten to, to their batteries. The the challenge within that, it's fine to stick the tungsten in, you then also got to get the tungsten back out. So we don't want to lose it from our ecosystem. Uh, and so we're working with them for the same reasons. To Tungsten's going to go into batteries. We want to be able to get the tungsten back out. And that was also why it was important for us to actually develop that, that, that style of technology. And so... At the moment, we do do recycling in Goslar in Germany. We also do recycling in Vietnam, right? The, the plant in Vietnam, we, we secure scrap. We get it calcinated in other locations. We can't calcinate at our at our factory in Vietnam yet. But over the next uh, 12 months, we will put in calcination facilities in Vietnam so we can actually then do cradle to grave recycling in Vietnam, where at the moment we do part of the process elsewhere. And then bring in a, a semi-recycled material into Vietnam for further processing through the cycle, but uh, it, it all works, right? Uh, probably also one of the benefits of, of the plant that we built in Vietnam. It um, because of the commitments we gave to the government, we were under a tight time frame within which we had to have a plant operational, right? And uh, what we ended up doing was building a hybrid Chinese-German plant. So basically, it was a sodium tungstate plant using Chinese technology and then uh, solvent extraction and purification process using German technology. And putting the two of them together has meant that we've got a plant that its window of operation is very wide. We can take lots of different materials with different impurities and process them all. Right, And so preferentially, I want to buy the rubbish around the world because it's available cheaper. Other people can't process it and where you can and it gives you good margin so yeah, ideally that's where you want to be I don't want to be in the space competing with everyone for the same material we want to be this type of material that no one wants it's sitting in the backyard or, or the back of the factory because it's a problem for someone we'll come in and clean that up uh, for you and uh, we'll make a buck while doing it it's not bad business yeah <laughs> um, talk about obviously products
0: and all the, the variety of uh, um, minerals that you that produce tungsten, copper, fluorospar. What what does the future look like for the products that obviously that you're producing?
1: The um, uh, future looks good, right, the, uh, for, for, for a range of reasons. When you look at um, global megatrend, you look at urbanisation, urbanisation requires investment, roads, rail, electrification, Buildings, uh, so as urbanisation continues, that's good. Good for our products that go into industrial applications. Right? When you look at um, renewables, right? Be it solar, be it uh, wind, etc. That consumes tungsten. It consumes copper. Um, it consumes, in some cases, far uh, from uh, uh, going into, into into coolant and cooling systems. Um, so yeah, that's good for our for our business. When you look at uh, EVs, EVs were initially somewhat of a concern because you know, about thirty percent of of, of of tungsten goes into tooling, and a lot of that tooling goes into automotive. And there's various elements, obviously, of automotive from 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 passenger cars to to to, to trucks and machines, right? But the um, As we've been working with different battery manufacturers looking to try and get better performance out of batteries, we're we're seeing significant market potential for our our tungsten-based products to go into those either in the electrolyte side or in the anode and cathode side of the battery as as different uh, partners are testing different solutions. And so we're now more confident in terms of the automotive consumption of tungsten what we were about two, three years ago. Um, And uh, certainly we're seeing uh, positive traction in that space. And so tungsten looks good. Copper's short. We don't produce a lot of copper. We're doing about 30, 35,000 tons a year of of, of a copper concentrate. Um, But the fact is the world's short of copper and that's only going to get worse over the next five years. there's been a couple of bar mines come on. Um, uh, they've also gone off. Um, bar prices at $450, $500 bucks a tonne. Price is excellent. Right? Um, and the market's still short of material. Right? And so uh, it, it looks good. I think it's only going to look stronger over the next couple of couple of years. Um, bismuth. Bismuth was soft for a while. Um, it got down to about $2.40, $2.30 a pound. It's back up around three ninety four dollars a pound. I think that's where the long-term average of the, the price is going to sit, right? Um, and the um, bismuth is a, a substitute for, for lead in a lot of applications, but quite simply there's not enough bismuth in the world to substitute all lead applications, and, and nor would you from a cost perspective, right? And so those that, that needed to retool from a health and safety or a hygiene perspective have, have changed the bismuth, you look at uh, Samsung and LGs. They use bismuth now in the in the glass for for the televisions, right? And it doesn't consume a lot. I think it's one, one two grams per square meter of, of glass, right? But that used to be lead. Um, bismuth is in your medical applications. Anyone who's taking Pepto-Bismol, right? Pepto-Bismol is an antacid. Well, the bismuth in that comes from 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 our bismuth, right? And so you know, via a long production chain. But you know, we're, we're, we're the single largest primary producer of bismuth in the world. It um, goes into uh, medical, veterinary applications for animals, right? And so it's strong. It's not going to grow massively as a consumption, but, uh, yeah, it'll continue to, 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 to run at the rate it is. Um, Cobalt, obviously, is a byproduct of our recycling process. Um, Cobalt's strong, right? Um, one of the reasons why we were looking at getting further down into cobalt was to protect the cobalt that's in our ecosystem from you know, losing it to, to other industrial applications. And it just so happens the technology we've, in, we've invented has got uh, wider applications than that. So that's opened up more opportunities for us. In tungsten, you know, the, there's been, aside from us, there's been a few other tungsten mines that have tried to come online. There are some that I think are interesting, you know, um, uh, Dolphin Project in in Tasmania is is ping on. It's interesting. Um, uh, there's other projects in other parts of the world that have have come online. They've then gone bust. They got shut down again. People talked them up. Then the feasibility study doesn't work. You know, it, there's no one tungsten's a difficult. You think of tungsten and you know, gravity. How hard can it be? It's actually a difficult mineral to to uh, process and produce. Right and. Um, that's the reason why there's not, not a lot of tungsten mines in the world that are, that are operational. Uh, and those that are, aside from us, they're, they're, they're predominantly small. Right, But we buy material from, from a, anyone who's producing um, and we bring that to Vietnam and process it in our, in our APT plant because we can. Um,
0: what's the ongoing investment and R&D and innovation at uh, MHT um, to bring about the innovation solutions um, that you see as a potential game-changer for sustainability or sustainable mining? Yep.
1: Different parts of, uh, different parts of the business. So in, in Vietnam, we've got – uh government have given us high-tech status, um, so to maintain that high-tech status, we've committed to, to spend a, a percentage of 1% of our revenue on ongoing R&D. Um, uh, out of our Vietnam operations, so yeah, that's in the order of. Obviously, it depends on what what the price is doing and our our production is, is doing. But, but you're looking at uh, roughly three hundred million dollars worth of revenue last year. Uh, so one percent of that's about about three million. In our, in our German operations, we we spend around two to three million euro a year. Um, but that also depends, right? And depends on your, on your cycle. So. You'll have different projects that are in ideation stage. You'll have different projects that are in um, lab testing versus uh, you know, commercial proof of concept. And so depending on where we're at in that space, our, our spend increases. Equally, having bought H.C. Stark out of private equity, you know, the, the focus in R&D was different on the private equity versus um, on, on that private equity versus what, where we're looking to go. Right, and so. We've increased the spend focusing on new products, focusing on partnerships with customers that are looking for better applications or new applications or better performance, um, focusing on global megatrends. Where are our products today or where are, if you like, co-located products that our sciences can produce or improve and how do we position ourselves to be a beneficiary of those global megatrends, a participant in it, but more than that, to add value to that process? Because if you're adding value to your customers or an industry, then you're always going to have a business. You're going to maintain your relevance and, and maintain your business or, or grow your business idea. Right? If you're not maintaining your relevance, then you'll go the way of the
0: dinosaurs. Um, what is the company's philosophy of sustainability? In uh, mining production, um, and how do you prepare to meet the sustainable targets uh, in the near future?
1: Excellent question. The, um, the it's been it's been a journey in terms of um, and when you're starting a, a a mine up, focus is all around production, and getting into production, um, and obviously when you're going from zero to 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 something, all of your emissions are going to go up. Home. And so then you get up into full production and uh, you then got to try and offset your emissions or reduce them. And so it's an ongoing battle, um, to be fair. Um, But organisationally, and this this comes from the Mass Group chairman, right, his view of the world is that if you are not positioning yourself for sustainability and actively participating to ensure that you are sustainable, then your organisation won't survive, right? And it's certainly something we've adopted within MHT and to the point where we're no longer thinking about sustainability as a cost to the business. We're looking at sustainability as an efficiency element, right? So when you look at water, we recycle 74% of our water at the new mine operation, right? And the more water we can recycle, the lower our cost of water consumption right? It's an efficiency, right? Um, Power, right? Now, our cost of power in places like the EU is about 30 to 35 cents a kilowatt, right? And so, uh, and we're buying renewables. We're buying uh, renewable energy. It is more expensive, but that's also what customers wanted from us from that facility. Now, focus then becomes on efficiency. How do I produce the same by using less energy to produce it? How do I lower my energy intensity? Because it's more expensive, right? Um, similarly in Vietnam. In Vietnam, power costs only 7.8 cents a kilowatt, hour, but it's increasing. So part of what we're doing is what have our colleagues in Germany, what have they learned on their sustainability journey over the last 10, 20 years? How do we actually fast track our other operations who haven't got the same level of maturity, copy-paste what they're doing and get ahead of the curve. So there's a lot of that transmission of knowledge occurring through the business, a lot of um, transmission of technologies through the business. Equally, one of the things we believe in is we're not experts. At it. There's things that we're good at, right? But at the end of the day, there's lots of things that there's other people in industry, in business, that are better at it than us. And so how do we go learn from what the smart people, the smart organisations are doing and apply that to our context? So part of that is organisationally being open-minded to to what can we learn from others, right? We don't have a monopoly on good ideas. If the BHPs or the Rio Tintos or the Samsungs or the Teslas are doing smart stuff, they're publishing it, they're publicising it. If we can take their idea and apply it to our context, subject to obviously not not breaching any any um, um, patents or IP issues, but basically if we can apply good ideas to our context and improve ourselves, we are right. And so organisationally, we are positioning ourselves to participate in in the global shift towards sustainability. We are we're looking at urban mining. I think urban mining is a an excellent phrase, right? You know, if if the material needs of the world can't be met from new primary mines, how can we make sure that they're met from you know, recycling urban wastes, manufacturing wastes, industrial wastes? How can we make sure they're met from reprocessing of You know, One of the things that we've spent a lot of time on from a technology perspective Mining-wise, we've got another 10, 15 years ahead of us based on our current reserves and resources. But we've already done the test work to be able to reprocess the tails that we're producing now. So we already know that at the end of the mine life, we've got a, a flow sheet designed to be able to reprocess the tails and put it back into the, into the pit from where it came from. Right? And so we see that and doing that now as an important part of being a, a responsible, you know, and, Mining company or a responsible company who's got an element of their business that's mining, so that it's it's sustainable, right? That uh, you know, we're not leaving a a mess to hand over to someone else. But beyond that, there's a resource there, right? It, it's got still got mineral content. In it. How do you get more efficient at recovering it today? And how do you get better at recovering it in future for future generations? Because there's not going to be the the mines to be able to, to produce the materials as we go forward got oh, a couple more questions
0: so um obviously the company have been going through um a lot of transitions just lately and obviously we were just talking about efficiencies you mentioned obviously you you acquired a company with a hundred plus year um history and you have obviously have a history of a lot less than that um yes. how has the change management been the culture differences and how have you How's that process been in obviously acquiring a company with a strong history, probably strong processes, procedures, et cetera? and how so what are the challenges have you had as an organisation bringing that company into your business with all those established processes, established thoughts probably, everything that's been established to a, a, obviously a newly a, a newly, not necessarily a newly formed company. Uh, a less experienced company, How? what are the challenges have you faced with people, processes, functions, et cetera?
1: And, and, and COVID. So we, <laughs> we, 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 we completed the acquisition on the 20th of June 2020 in the, in the middle of COVID. Right? And uh, uh, we, we had all these plans about uh, sending people to each of the sites and Day one, and and do this, and um, very quickly that all became online, and so we were doing town hall meetings online. And, uh, and I'm a good orator, right? I, I can step up in front of a crowd and talk, right? I can read how people are responding to it, to what I'm saying. You do a town hall meeting with a hundred people hanging off the the end of a screen. That's much tougher. You you can't read that, right? And so. Uh, it certainly was a lot more challenging than, than we expected. Oh, sorry, it became a lot more challenging because of COVID and it was un, unbroken ground for us in terms of how do we manage this, right? And so that in itself caused uh, stress and, and heartache for, for the organisation and growing pains. We had to become a lot more patient as an organisation. So, you know, the... the the Resources company being 10-year-old, it didn't have the, the history or, if you like, some of the, the sacred cows within the business because they didn't exist. They hadn't had time to become ingrained, right? And so then it's a case of the, the business learning to slow up, listen more, and take the time to get the, the new members of the team on the journey. So, you know, we did... We acquired the business in June. We did a strategy session around September all online with our colleagues in, uh, in Germany, in China, and in Canada all online.
0: I was just about to say, what time did you do that with all those different time zones? Yeah,
1: we, we, we started at lunchtime <laughs> and finished at midnight, right? And so, so it, was, uh, you know, it was a compromise for, for different parts of the business, right? And so um, but we thought that was important. And then the the soonest we've been able to get everyone in the room together was actually three weeks ago, right, because Vietnam only opened up on on March 15 uh, this year. And so in the last three weeks was the first time we've actually had all of the leadership of the organisation in the one location together, right? And so it's been a credit to the team, in particular their levels of tolerance and patience of each other. Over the last two years, that you know, the business has had its best financial performance ever in 2021, right? And you know the the team working around or through overcoming the challenges of um, COVID and distance. Um, I think things took a lot longer than what we would have liked, um, but it got done, right? And I think that the reason it got done is because we had very good plans. Sat down and explained to people where we're going, why we're going there. Integration plans might have 100, 200, 300 activities, right? But we had defined through our process that there's about 10 things that provide 80% of the value, right? And you know, let's focus on those 10 things first, right? Don't worry about anything else, get those things right. And in doing that, the rest of it will take care of itself in due course, right? And that's what we did, right? And that then delivered performance results. And then people see the performance results, they feel the performance results, they feel part of a winning team as a result of seeing those, those, those performance improvements. And so then people are more inquisitive to, to get on board as you doing more, right? The last three weeks have all been about having a look at business processes, right? What, what are we doing that... Uh, that's efficient? What are we doing that's not efficient? How do we standardise our process across the business? How do we more and more use the technology that's available to give people more time in their day so they've got ability to spend more time on value-adding tasks versus non-value-adding tasks? Right? And I'm not the person who's going to come in and tell people what that is and what that isn't. Our people are the best people to be able to do that. What I've got to do is give them the opportunity to have those discussions and get exposed to what is available to them to improve their job so that they then take themselves on that journey from from, uh, a job that's 50% pushing paperwork and 50% adding value to, ideally, zero pushing paperwork because the system's actually looking after all that and they're spending. 80%, 90% 80%, 90% of the day adding value, adding, adding, right? Um, and I want the job to be interesting for those people. I want those people to get up in the morning, be excited about getting out of bed and going to work and you know, doing their, their eight hours or 10 hours or 20 hours, depending on the, the, the nature of the job they're in, and go home proud of what they've done, proud of, to talk to their, to their family and, and have dinner with their kids. And that, that's the type of organisation we want to be. Um, and, and that's... When you talk about sustainability, we want our people to be proud of working for us. We want our 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 families to be proud of the fact that the that the their their husband, wife, child, partner, daughter, son works for MHT Global. Right, that'd be a, a great place to be. And so that's what we're trying to create.
0: And lastly, uh, what's the outlook for the the rest of this year, and obviously going into. Into next year as well.
1: I'd like the global freight situation to improve itself. That that that'll that help me a lot. But I'm not alone there. The um the the business looks good. Our, our order book is strong. Um, the challenge we've got at the moment is we're seeing more orders come in than than what we've got the ability to produce. Um, and that's a combination. I think some of that's freight issues in terms of getting raw materials in. Some of that is um, uh, quite simply for for certain products, we're at uh, our production capacity. And so we'll work through that. Uh, We'll make sure all the customers get the materials that they want when they want them. Um, But it's creating new challenges for us as as we work our way through that. Um, We're expecting this year from a business performance perspective to be better than last year. Um, Prices are better, but uh, beyond prices, our production is running well. And so um, we're seeing positives there. The year will really be one of setting a platform, right? So we want to become more efficient. We want to standardise our processes, drive that efficiency in the business. This year is an investment in that. We're not going to see the benefits of that till till next year and the year after. Um, And part of that will actually you know, bringing the the whole business onto common systems and platforms, that's probably a two or three year project. Our, our team will talk about the fact that uh, I keep telling them two years, eighteen months. I know that's not realistic, but you. you've got to get, get set set people stretch target and then find out what they're capable of doing, right? And and come up with new ways to do it. So, well, the year's looking good. Um, uh, we're getting our people together. We're getting our people across different parts of the business. We're already seeing. I said, we're brought to get people together for the first time in the last month, and we're already seeing benefits of that, right? And so a lot of people talk about, yeah, you can do a lot of business now on on Zoom or on um, on Teams or Google Meets, Hangouts, etc. Yes, you can. You can get stuff done. I don't believe you can get the full value of people without actually putting it together, right? And so we're spending time and investment in getting our people together. And you know, we're seeing people bounce ideas that don't necessarily come through uh, for, fortress computer, right? Um, people spending time together, shooting the breeze, talking about their challenges. And, and what we're seeing, other people have had some of those challenges in the past and they're offering a, a solution over a, over a meal, right? Uh, well, that's fantastic, right? And that's what I think we've missed and globally, businesses have missed over the last couple of years. Some people might, might say that we're obviously not doing Zoom and Google Hangouts and, and Teams the right way, but I don't agree. I think there's nothing better than getting really smart people together in a room, uh, giving them a, a framework or a, or an issue or an opportunity, as we call it, and seeing what they're capable of. And uh, yeah, that's where I think we'll, we'll get... More value out of this year and over the next couple of years of uh, bringing our people together and, and uh, getting them to collaborate more. Yeah,
0: and from what you just said, that's going back to when you worked at Mount Isa, and yeah. and obviously you not probably probably didn't have computers then. Phones were being on the wall, but what oh. you were doing, what you were doing was interacting all the time. Obviously in the workplace, but obviously socially as well. And it was all, always face-to-face uh, conversations that you were having. And obviously, as technologies move forward, we're probably having less and less of that interaction, whether that's socially, in the workplace, um, and it's not face-to-face all the time. It is via, the, well, obviously, we're, we're speaking on Zoom now. But it's going back to those basics again. And I suppose the companies that will, or potentially, can benefit is using some of the technology, but also going back to the basics and having those those conversations face to face. And that could and apply to any business as well, including mine in in, in recruitment.
1: Absolutely look, the technology's got its place, right? And and great an example, we 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 had uh, built our furnace in China, right? And in the middle of COVID, we couldn't get the OEM. To go to our site to commission the equipment, right? Now, their solution was well, it's got to sit there until we can send someone, right? Now, we weren't going to, we're not going to live with that, right? And so we were using um, Microsoft HoloLens technology, okay? Put a helmet on, you can have someone sit over your shoulder, look, look at it, right? And so we commissioned a furnace using HoloLens technology, right? So we had a number of people with a HoloLens. We had the OEM basically sitting on their shoulder, walking them through what to do right to commission that furnace. In the end, we had that commi- furnace commissioned three weeks ahead of the original schedule as a result of using Hololens, uh, which was a fantastic result. Gave us better, and better results, right? But the the uh, and so technology has its place, right? But beyond that, getting people here, humans are social creatures, right? They like interacting. They like interacting face to-face, having a coffee, having a meal together. You know we're, we're not one-dimensional people. We all have families or we have interests, we have we have work, we have investments, we have parents. There's lots of things that go beyond the person than this one-dimensional aspect, right? And having people spend time together, and have those discussions and build those relationships, you get better performance out of the people as a result. And, you know, and talking about putting people in the room and talking about an opportunity, right? We've got a problem in this part of the plan, right? You have a multidisciplinary team, look at it. They then look at it from all different facets, not just from, 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 from one way. And as a result of that and that collaboration that occurs, and that bouncing ideas off each other collectively, you end up with better outcomes. And you know, that was par for the course before COVID. My expectation is that businesses globally will go back to that at, at a point in time because it'll give them better performance, right? Now, it's easy. I'm not criticising accountants, but it's easy to, to look at the, the cost of travel and we've just saved all this money in cost of travel. Yeah, but it's not about that. It's about beyond that cost element, what was the value creation in your business from face-to-face collaboration, right? And my view is that that face-to-face collaboration had greater value accretion to an organisation than that cost of saving on a a flight and accommodation, right? And so it's not all going to go one way or the other, but I think there's a lot of value to be had by bringing your people together. And, and certainly we're, we're seeing the benefit of that over the last few weeks already. Yeah, I think um, with the ideas that have come out of the last couple of weeks, we'll have made back the money on the cost by a factor of 10 times in terms of process improvements and ideas that people have already got. Yeah, so, and, that's
0: a, and that's a great point to share, and hopefully the audience can take take that point away, especially, um, and just think about their own businesses and, and what they're doing. Um in, in order to create extra value um, from, from what you just said. So, um, Craig, really appreciate your time and sharing your journey uh, with us and with obviously the audience and, um, and telling us how, how things have changed with um, MHT and the transitions that you've just recently been through. So, um, really, really, uh, really great chat. If our audience wants uh, to reach out to you, if they've got any questions, how can they go about doing that? Um, are you across any social media platforms? Yeah. Um, the, um,
1: I'm, I'm on I'm on uh, LinkedIn. Um, uh, I'm, I think that's actually the only social media platform I'm on. Um, I'm not on Facebook or anything else. So the um, most, most of my kids describe my kids. Um, uh, not happy about that, but anyway. So I'm on LinkedIn. Reach out to me on LinkedIn, and, um, and connect from there. Um, yeah, all good. Rob, appreciate the the talk. Uh, it's been it's been uh, enjoyable. Uh, appreciate it and, and always happy to share what, what we're doing and where we're going and, and why we're doing. It.
0: Thank yeah, you. that's great. And uh, and obviously, probably come on next year and give us a certainly give us an update. Um, I imagine the the company has um, social media. Um present, so I will get those details and include them in the yes. show notes accompanying this the as company, well. So yeah. people can follow. you So
1: the company's certainly on Facebook and twitter and and uh, LinkedIn and all uh, so the company certainly is because it's got a whole lot of younger people in the organization that uh, are, are all uh, very good at all those um, um, uh, mediums, but uh, myself, just LinkedIn.: Yeah, no worries. Uh, well,
0: thank you. Yeah, really appreciate your time again. And uh, for those that are listening, great, great episode there. So I appreciate if you can share this amongst friends, family, others in the industry, because there's a lot of points that we can take away, uh, take away from from this episode. And just that obviously, the last few points about adding value and and obviously having those face to face interactions and sharing ideas, you probably get a different perspective than what you probably have done over the last few years doing things via obviously Zoom. And obviously, you're watching this on the youtube channel or listen to this on the podcast but trying to get back to those face-to-face interactions i think you'll get added value in in whatever you're doing so um that's a great point to take away so appreciate your continued support and until next time happy minded thank you for listening remember to reach out to rob via the show notes and be sure to subscribe and leave a review until next time Happy Mining, helping each other to improve the mining industry.